what is the CBR journal? What is the community Bible reading journal? The CBR journal is a tool. It's a tool that we've designed to help you connect with God through his word and connect with God's family in his word daily. The CBR journal is a tool that's being used by thousands of people around the world to experience a deeper intimacy with God, a greater connection with God, a better relationship with God and God's people. Uh, the CBR journal is not a Bible study guide. It's a Bible reading guide. It's a guide that will remind you to listen to God's voice in his scriptures, a guide that will ask you to pray your prayers back to God through your pen, and, and a guide that will encourage you to get ready to interact in community with others who have listened to God in the same passage. While the CBR journal is not a Bible reading plan, it's not a read through the Bible in a certain amount of time, those who utilize the reading schedule in the journal will read the New Testament every year, and they'll read the Old Testament every three years. Most importantly, this is not a tool that will help you do the right thing to earn God's love. This is a tool that will remind you to enjoy God's love each and every day given to you freely in Christ. We, of course, will do the right thing more and more as we respond to His grace. But in the gospel of Jesus, we don't have to do anything to get Him to love us. So what is the CBR Journal? The Community Bible Reading Journal is a tool that's been designed to help you experience greater intimacy with God through His Word and greater intimacy with God's people in His Word. Amen, amen. Nothing fire you up for a sermon like good, good info about the CBR, right? <laughs> amen. All right, well, hey, if I haven't met you yet, my name is uh, Nick. I'm one of the pastors here, and thank you for joining us this holiday weekend. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn them on or turn them open to Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. That's where we're going to be at today. As you're turning there, uh, today is kind of a standalone sermon in between sermon series uh, where we're going to be looking at the importance of reading God's Word. And if you've been at the transit for uh, a couple years, you know that we like to start every new year off uh, with uh, looking at the spiritual discipline. So we're talking about God's Word uh, and, and the spiritual discipline of, of reading and meditating and memorizing God's Word today. And then the next couple weeks, looking ahead, we're going to be doing a sermon series on prayer, looking at Psalm 51, which I am super excited about. So uh, with that said, before we dive into the sermon and the text today, we're going to have another brief commercial break for the CBR uh, tool that was mentioned in that video. What is a CBR journal? Uh, it is a Bible reading plan, if you will, like it is a Bible reading plan where for uh, 2020, this journal here in my hands will have every date uh, pretty much uh, available for you to read one chapter in the New Testament, one chapter in the Old Testament. In addition to that, it's not just like a, a reading guide, it's actually a journal. So if you open it up, if you have one, you open it up, there's a template you can follow. What I love about this template, as you read God's Word, it's very God-centric. It kind of shows us what it looks like to worship uh, with our pen and to, to uh, stay connected to God uh, in, in our Bible reading and not kind of box God out, but invite him into our time together. If, you're, if you think uh, templates are, you know, from the devil, then there's a blank, there's a blank sheet of paper over here where you can journal, journal your thoughts uh, as well. But the key word to this, this is a key word, is community. The key word to this is community. The reason the elders are so passionate about this is we have this vision, and the vision is this. What would it look like for all of us as a church to collectively be going through the same passages of Scripture, uh, just abiding in the love and the truth of our Father together? Right? So, we're, so we're connecting on a daily basis as a people who are consumed uh, with the Word of God. Uh, uh, we're connecting vertically with our Father, but we're also collecting, uh, connecting corporately, collectively with each other, right? It's a beautiful picture. And, and for instance, 
this past year of, of using this tool, my wife and I, for the first time, have been on the same reading plan in our quiet times. We're not passing each other like ships in the night, if you will, with our, with our quiet times. We, uh, I can read, like, for instance, like, as we've been reading through 1 Samuel or, or Matthew these past couple weeks, uh, I'll go to Jen and be like, have you read Matthew 9? Like the Lord just oh, revealed so much to me and we can, and boom, we're connecting uh, uh, with each other over how awesome our God is and what he's teaching us in his word. There's nothing better. And so that's our vision for the church is you guys are grabbing coffee or in your community groups uh, or on the Facebook uh, page that we have, the, the closed Facebook group where you can share, you know, your, your thoughts on what the Lord is teaching you. That, that would just strengthen our collective pursuit of Jesus uh, together. So last year was our first year trying it. We got great feedback. So here's the deal. If you do not have a Bible reading plan for 2020, we just ask that you would try out the CBR journal because it's awesome and because it's something we can do uh, together. And so uh, with that said, you might be asking, well, Nick, how do I get one of these cool books? How do I get one of these? Well, if you already have one, like Jeff said, if you already have one to, from 2019, it's still good for 2020. So you don't need to Get another one. If you do not have one, they're available in uh, the uh, multi-purpose room there uh, by the coffee and the tea. So pick one up, and we just ask, like Jeff said, that you donate uh, five bucks towards the cost of uh, the journal. That's like what's it? What's five bucks in this day and age? It's like a venti pumpkin spice latte, right? So you give me, you buy me a venti pumpkin spice latte, and I'll give you a CBR journal. All right. So. Um, <laughs> And by the way, we're not getting paid to market these books. We're actually losing money by this, but it's not losing money. It's, a, it's investing. We're investing in you and your pursuit of Jesus. So what is CBR? It's simply a tool for us to connect with God and connect with God's family. So we just encourage you for 2020 uh, that you would pick one up and, uh, and use it. Uh, so today we're going to be looking at Psalm 1, uh, 119, 9 through 16. There's three things we're going to be looking at today. Uh, we're going to be looking at the psalmist. So when I say psalmist, that's just the author of uh, Psalm 119. And so we're, the three things we're going to be looking at is the psalmist's approach. He's got kind of three approaches to God's word, and that's the approach of one, discipline. Secondly, the approach of desire. And thirdly, the approach of delight. Discipline, desire, and delight. And a quick disclaimer before I, I pray here and we dive into the text is this. is about six months ago, I gave another talk on God's word where I mentioned CBR and, and God's word, and that was uh, for the sake of not just printing out another sermon and, and giving you the same sermon I gave six months ago. Um, uh, that sermon that I did six months ago was um, looking at uh, what exactly is God's word. It's more of a topical approach. This is what God's word is. It's, it's his revel a revelation of him, himself, him speaking to us. And so here's the deal. The reason I mention that is this, is I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon. You can find it on the website, as I'll be assuming some, I'll be assuming that you know the content from that sermon in this sermon. Does that make sense? This is kind of a follow-up from that sermon six months ago. Where we're looking primarily at what our response to God's initiative in speaking to us in his word should be. So quick recap, if I were to summarize my message six months ago of, of if we were to ask this question, what is God's word? What I would say is this, it's not just principles for life, right? Often when people preach about God's word, it's just follow these principles and you'll be all right. Well, that completely nullifies the cross because you don't have to be regenerate. You don't have to be born again to just follow these principles and everything will go well for you. This is not, the, the, the word of God is not just principles for life. What the word of God is, is God in his sweet, undeserved grace to us, revealing himself to us. Revealing his nature, his character, his goodness, his kindness, his posture towards a wayward uh, uh, humanity, right? What, what God's word is, this is a revelation, it's an unveiling of his redemptive plan 
wrought out through the person and work of Jesus Christ, where through Jesus, he's reconciling creation back to the Father. And so the deduction that follows, that if God's word isn't just these principles we follow, but it's the revelation of a person, God, then the deduction that follows is this, is that is, if the Bible is a, a revelation of a person, is person of Jesus, then the best way to truly know Jesus is to read his words, his book, where he's revealed who he is and what he's done for. So let me pray, and we'll dive in here. Um, Heavenly Father, we come before you humbly uh, and, and, and just with awe and, and gratitude. Just that song we were singing, what have I to dread? What, what do we have to dread? What do we have to fear? Because our God is for us. Who could stand against us? We thank you. Our heart cry this morning is you've gone to such great lengths You've given us everything we need in Jesus. We say thank you. Thank you, God. You are uh, full of steadfast love and faithfulness to your sons and your daughters. You never wayward. You take the initiative. You speak first. You move first. And we just get to respond. Respond to you who's moved first on our behalf. So we say thank you. Come before you grateful. Come before you joyful this morning. So Jesus, would you be magnified? Would you be glorified in our hearts? Would you increase up here? Would I decrease? And Holy Spirit, would you come and would you apply this word? Word that testifies about your goodness and your love for us. Would you apply it to our hearts? And pray this in your sweet name, Jesus. Amen. Psalm 119, 9 through 16. I'm going to read this uh, real quick and then we'll, we'll get into the outline here. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart. I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes, and I will not forget your words. So one of the first things that sticks out to me as we read through this is, is one of the primary approaches that this psalmist has to God's word is one of discipline. Right? If you look at verse 11, he says, I have stored up. I have stored up. There's been some effort involved. I've stored up your word in my heart. Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts. And fix my eyes on your ways. In order for us to fix our eyes on something, we have to fix our eyes away from something else. There's effort involved. There's discipline involved. Verse 16, I love this. The very last line in this passage. I will not forget. Your, I will daily call it to remembrance. And so it sticks out. But the heart of this psalmist, man, is this dutiful, determined resolve to read, to study, to cling to, to memorize, to recite God's word, right? And there's this sense that it was, it was kind of all, the, like the pursuit of God through God's word was all-consuming for this author of this song. It's all-consuming for him. It wasn't like a side thing. It wasn't kind of like a flip up the phone swipe left to the verse of the day on the Bible app type of thing. Can you track it with me? It was like all-consuming for him. And I think a quick side note here is that the spiritual disciplines get a bad rap today. The word discipline, like self-control, gets a bad rap today. And I think the reason in, in the church, in, in, 
I guess the circles I walk in or whatever, I don't know, maybe not in the circles you walk in, but um, this is why, okay? So I think when we aim at the disciplines themselves, we miss God, right? So when we aim at just read your Bible, I need to pray more, or I need to praise more, or sing worship songs, it's, it's, it's we miss the person and work of Jesus. We're missing Jesus in the pursuit of the disciplines. The disciplines are never an end in, their, in themselves. They're always a means to an end to connect and abide in the love of Jesus. And so oftentimes with our disciplines, what we do when we, when we work out these disciplines, but it's kind of devoid of life and joy, so we swing the pendulum and we say, actually, the disciplines are not what I need. In fact, me and Jesus have now just kind of a more organic uh, type of relationship, right? Like, I don't need to memorize God's word. I don't need to study it. I don't need a reading plan, Nick. Me and Jesus are homeboys, Right? And so what that is, that, so what that is, is now our passivity and our pursuit of Jesus is now masked, is now masked as a passion for Jesus, right? Well, I'll just call it what it is, that, that kind of thing of like, uh, of, I don't pray, I don't, I don't read God's word, but I don't need to because me and Jesus, man, we're, we got like more of like a, you know, it's not structured, it's not discipline, that's just passivity in your walk, for, in your pursuit of Jesus, masked as passion for him. And, uh, flip my page here. And this is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about um, this idea of, of discipline, self-control. And, and church, self-control is a fruit of God the Holy Spirit inside of you, right? Like self-control, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Strict exercise of self-control is an essential feature of the Christian life. When the flesh is satisfied, it is hard to pray with cheerfulness or to devote oneself to a life of service which calls for much self-renunciation. We have to practice strictest daily discipline. I love this last line. It's kind of the only reason I'm sharing this quote because I love this last line. Only so can the flesh learn the painful lesson that it has no right of its own. Oh, isn't that good? Don't you wish you could write like that? Mm, so good. Only so the flesh can learn the painful lesson that it doesn't call the shots in your life that we're going after Jesus no matter what my flesh says. I'm hungry for my Savior, and I'm going to pursue him. I'm going to dive into his word in 2020 no matter what, my, no matter what my, my flesh wants to say. It doesn't get a vote. It doesn't get a vote, right? And so this is what we see in the psalm is that in Psalm 119, this is the psalmist's approach. The cry of his heart is, God has gone to great lengths to give me his word, the Torah at the time. God has gone great lengths to give me his word. Now I'll go to great lengths to store that word in my heart. I'll go to great lengths because my God has gone to great lengths to give me his word. And I'm going to store it up in my heart. What does that storing up in your heart look like? That's a discipline word, right? And so a couple years ago, I was having a, a kind of a personal retreat at my parents' cabin. They have a couple cabins in the Shenandoah Valley uh, uh, area. And um, every turn of the year, I like to, um, sorry, there's like a piece of gum there. All, right, all good. Uh, I'm used to like stepping on Legos with my two kids at home, so that's distracting. Uh, and so um, every turn of the year, I like to get away and just spend time uh, with the Lord at, at this retreat and, you know, and, and, and project ahead. Hey, what, what do you, Jesus, you get a vote, obviously, for, for the coming year. What do you want? And so for 2017, it was 2017 at the time, I'm there. I got my fire going in the cabin. I got my, you know, my coffee and all this stuff. It's great, and, I, and I'm just journaling. And, and in this season in my life, um, I was projecting ahead. I said, okay, 2018, what's the deal with goals and disciplines? It seems so legalistic to set goals, right? Sometimes it's good. And so that was, the, that was, my, that was like, hey, I, my softball throw up to the Lord. It's like goals for 2018. Should I even set goals? 
Or do you and I have kind of more of like a organic type of, you know, relationship and, you know, whatever, like, like what, what, what is, do I need discipline during your goals for 2018? And I, that was like what I was right now. And then all of a sudden, as I'm looking at the fire, drinking my delicious, you know, freshly roasted coffee, I look at the fire, and then all of a sudden, this thought pops in my head as I'm looking at the fire. Nick, how do you keep a fire lit? How do you keep a fire lit? Through work, through effort, right? And so let me, let me tell you the process of how, you know, uh, three years ago, little Nick gets to the cabin and has a fire that he's enjoying. This is the process. My dad takes a massive chainsaw into the woods at the cabin. He fells these massive trees. Like, I read, like, theology in my spare time. My dad goes and he just cuts down forests in the uh, tree. He fells these ma- monstrosity of trees, like, boom, you know, other trees have fallen down. And then what does he do? He, he just cuts that massive tree up into, into stumps. And then he gets his ATV with his little trailer. And then and he picks up these, like, the strong, world's strongest man competition, you know, like, and just stumps into the trailer, drives the ATV trailer up to the, the bonfire pit, and he stacks the logs on top of each other. And then what does he do? The, then, then what does he do? He grabs the axe. And boom, man, just starts chopping away, chopping away until you have these, you know, kind of fun-sized, bite-sized uh, logs that you can throw in the fire. And then what does he do after there's this massive mess of stumps and logs that you can use now use for the fire is he stores them up, right? He stacks them so they're easily accessible. And so now we have this vast, seemingly endless resource at the cabin so that the fire never goes out, right? So the fire never goes out. For the sake of this illustration, we're saying, well, Nick, what does the fire represent? If I'm not being clear up here, the fire simply represents our walk with Jesus, right? And I'm not making that up, but that's a biblical illustration. In Revelation 3, Jesus says, uh, Jesus uses temperature as an illustration for our pursuit and our walk with him, right? Cold, hot, lukewarm. If you're lukewarm, I'd spit you out of my mouth. I'd rather you be cold, cold, I'd rather you be cold or flaming hot but let's not be lukewarm. And then I was reading last night in Luke uh, before I was going to bed, and I had to write this in my, uh, I was kind of blown away uh, that it lines up perfectly with my sermon. But Luke 12, Luke 12, verse 35, Jesus literally, literally says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Keep your lamps burning. What Jesus says, he uses, Jesus uses these illustrations to, to illustrate what our pursuit and, 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 and of Jesus should look like. And so how do we keep a fire lit, church? How do we keep that, how do we fan into flame our relationship, our passion for God? As we store up the logs of God's word in our hearts so that the flame, the fire, never goes out. And so the problem I think that you and I face is we want the warmth, we want the, the Holy Spirit revival, the you know, fire of passionate pursuit of Jesus without the effort. We want the fire without the effort. We want the fire without picking up the axe and chopping some wood. We want the fire without the calluses on our hands. And so shifting gears here, uh, the que- my question to us would be this. If we're not storing up God's truth and his voice and his word in our hearts, the question we need to ask is, well, then what in the world are we storing up in our hearts? Might I suggest that what we're consuming through our ears and what we're consuming through our eyes is always being stored up in our hearts? I don't know if you guys have awoken to this, but, but media is everyone, like, do, you, do we understand that everybody has a bias and everybody is preaching a worldview, not just the Christians? Everybody has a worldview and everybody is an evangelist for that worldview. And so when we sit and marinate, with certain things we're listening to or watching or whatever, there's a worldview 
that's being stored up in our hearts that, is, that does not line up with Scripture most often. So what are we storing up in our hearts? Things that, that fan into flame. Are we chucking like dried out pine? You ever been on a bonfire? You have some dried out pine. It's super, it's massive, but it's light. And you're like, this is going to burn up in two seconds, right? Is that what we're chucking on the bonfire? Are we just dumping, are we storing up just ice cold stones that we're throwing into? What, what, are, we, what are we storing up? This psalmist here, this psalmist, man, he was filled to the brim. The logs of scripture just stacked, boom, 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 boom. To start so the, the, the flame in his heart would never go out in his pursuit of Jesus. And so, and that was his heart, is that God has gone great lengths to give me his word. Now let me go to great lengths to store up his word on my heart. How do I store up this word? You fix your eyes on it. You get into it daily. You memorize it. You meditate. You chew on it. You never let go. You cling to the word. The very voice of Jesus across the pages of Scripture. But listen, it's important to note this. Discipline is never an end in and of itself. Right? I think this is where we go wrong with the spiritual disciplines. Like I was talking about earlier, discipline is always a means to a far greater end. Right? So we don't labor in reading and memorizing and meditating on God's Word just to be good Christians. Because good Christians have quiet times and good Christians do this. No, no, no. We labor and strive and have discipline because of our affection for God himself, our desire for God himself. Listen, going back to the illustration, all of our labor, all of our discipline, all of our striving is because we love the fire too much to see it go out, right? We love the fire too much to see it go out. That's why we're in the woods, chopping down trees, dragging stuff. That's why we're doing the hard work of storing up God's word in our heart. And that's the second thing we see with this psalmist's approach to God's word is he has approach of desire, right? A hunger, a thirst for God through his word. Okay, so look at verses 9, 10, 11. Verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Listen to verse 10. With my whole heart, everything I got, I seek you. I'm coming after you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, there in verse 11, we see that the storing up of God's word is for a far greater end. He, he, he doesn't want to sin against God. And so what's the object of the psalmist's desire here? It's God himself. Everything I got, I'm coming after you, Lord, through your word. That's this language of hunger, of thirst, of dependency, of desire for more of God. That's why he clings to the word of God. It's almost as if he's saying this. It's like, God, I'm so in love with you. I want to fan into flame my true knowledge of who you are in your word. And I know that my sin is like dumping a massive bucket of water on the flame of my soul. So I'll store up your word in my heart so that I don't sin against you. Wandering from your commandments is akin to wandering from you. So may my heart be so full of your word that there's room for nothing else. Your truth, your voice, in a, in a sea of voices that are constantly telling me things that are not true about who I am and what I should do. Let, your, let my heart be full of your words and your voice and your truth so that there's no room, there's no room for anything else. And one of the things we learn in this psalm is that one of the primary ways to guard ourselves against sin is by clinging to God's word. That's what we see in the psalmist. He has such a love for God. 
that he's, he's, he's going to God. And he's saying, I want to be pure. I don't want to sin. I don't want to wander from your commandments. I want you. So how do I, how do I not wander? How do I not? He's got, a, he's got a hunger for God. And that's what's driving him to store up God's word in his heart. This is what Charles Spurgeon says about the word of God. It is the word that prunes the Christian. It is the truth that purges him. The scripture made living and powerful by the Holy Spirit. I love this. Effectively cleansing the Christian every time with a surrendered heart that we open God's word. The chisel is out and the hammer is swinging and God is doing this beautiful work, this efficacious work in our soul of making us more like Jesus. Every time we open the word with surrendered heart, submitting to the lordship of God and his word in our lives, the chisel is out. God is pruning us. God is strengthening us. God is edifying us. God is convicting us of sin uh, and, 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 and equipping us to follow him and to advance his kingdom across the face of the earth. But listen, it's not just that this psalmist here in Psalm 118 has a language of desire, but I think it's a little bit stronger than that. What we see is that it's also a language kind of, of desperation, of dependency. Uh, I can't go through a sermon without quoting Paul Miller, so I'm going to. Paul Miller wrote a book uh, called The Praying Life, and uh, in A Praying Life, he, he equates the discipline of prayer to helplessness. To helplessness. He says, he says to the people that say, oh, I need to pray more, I need to pray more, I need to pray more. He says, what? He says, the antidote is not more discipline. You don't need more discipline as much as you need more desperation. Because often prayer is shooting up a flare to God when you are confronted with your weakness and with your, your need for God. It's the same when we approach God's word. The proud, the self-reliant have no need for God, have no need for his word, and therefore they won't read his word, right? And the psalmist's approach was this. It wasn't just, God, my soul hungers and a thirst for you, which all throughout scripture, we see that this is, this is uh, the longing of our heart, why we exist. We were, we, were, we were created to hunger and thirst for God, but I think it's even stronger than that. It's almost as if he's saying, Yes, I hunger for you, Lord, but God, my soul starves to death without you. I'm, I'm starved to death without you. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. I had a seminary professor who said it was this verse in college that made him to kind of uh, make a commitment, if you will, will, that he would not eat actual bread until he read God's word every day. And he said he kept to it. Where before he would not eat, he would refuse to eat actual food before he, he dug in to the bread of life through the word of God. John 15, 4 through 7. Jesus, upper room discourse, final message to his disciples before he goes to the cross. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone doesn't abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and he withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and listen in my words, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, 
and it will be done for you. That John 15 passage, John 15, 1 through 11, is one of my favorite passages on the planet. I encourage you to read it uh, this afternoon or tonight before you go to bed. It's so rich, so beautiful. I was actually going to preach from that, and then the Lord put me somewhere else. But uh, the illustration Jesus uses in John 15 here, I don't have time to fully exegete what, you know, what's happening in John 15, um, but it's really simple. He's saying, I'm the vine, and never forget, you're the branches. You're the branches. What, what is Jesus doing there? The point he's making is branches are entirely dependent on the vine for their very existence and sustenance. So that the mantra of the branch becomes this, abide or die. That's what Jesus is saying. I abide or I die. Right? And that word abide um, uh, has this sense in the Greek, it has this sense of to remain, to stay, and to reside. Like, don't go anywhere, stay put, remain, stay, dwell, reside, abide. And so who here uh, got a, like a real Christmas tree this year? Like, not like a fake Christmas tree, but like a real one. Yeah, amen, amen. <laughs> Me too. Who here, who, whose Christmas tree is still up? You don't have to raise your hand. But, but if, if your Christmas tree is like my Christmas tree that I got before Thanksgiving, this thing is as dry as the Sahara Desert right? Like you sneeze in your kitchen and this thing loses a million needles. You know what I'm saying? Like just dry. Like don't you dare light, like turn the lights on because that thing will go up in flames in two seconds. Um, but why? Why is this tree dying a slow, painful death? It's simply because the tree didn't stay put in the soil. It didn't buy. It didn't stay. It didn't reside. What happened, this is what happened, is a tree got all proud. It left the soil and said, I don't need the soil anymore. Look at me. I'm awesome. I want to go in front of Wegmans, right? And I want to be adopted by a family, a new family. Try to hang out with all these, these trees who aren't as good as me. And then I want to be decked out in all these cool ornaments and lights. And, and then I want to hear the cheers of my fan, these kids who are three and five, just looking at me, right? It wanted the glory. It tasted the glory. And it got all proud. And it left the soil. And now it's now it's dying a slow, painful death. Now, the flip side of that illustration would be this. What if that Charlie Brown Christmas tree stayed in the soil, church, for like 60 years? 100 feet plus, massive, thick branches, steadfast, immovable, right? Just this glorious tree. And then who would get all the glory for its growth? The tree or the nutrient-rich soil? that it is firmly and deeply rooted and planted in. And so if that's the case, is that the life for that tree is not found inside of itself, but is found, found kind of outside of itself in the soil, then the very thing that this tree needs to do for survival is not will itself to grow and will itself to bear fruit. Its mantra is this, is the only thing that I need to focus on in regards to my growth, my thriving, my strength, my steadfastness is staying thirsty is staying dependent, is staying hungry, is sinking my teeth, if you will, the, the, the teeth of my roots into that nutrient-rich soil and soaking up as much as I can. Because the monster of my life is abide or die, man. If I leave, I'm a dead man. Let me not wander from your commandments, Lord. Death awaits me if I wander from your commandments. And what a blessing it is to abide. This is the way John Piper talks about this dependency in the Christian life. In his book, Hunger for God, he, always, he offers up this prayer. He says, Father, I am empty. 
but you are full. I am hungry, but you are the bread of heaven. I am thirsty, but you are the fountain of life. I am weak, but you are strong. I am poor, but you are rich. I am foolish, but you are wise. I am broken, but you are whole. I am dying, but your steadfast love is better than life. I love this last line. When God sees this confession of need and this expression of trust, he acts because the glory of his all-sufficient grace is at stake. The glory of his all-sufficient stake, uh, uh, of his all-sufficient grace is at stake. So if we were to summarize this section of the psalmist, if he was to ask himself, how do I survive? How do I not ruin my life through sin? And how do I not just survive, but how do I thrive? How do I flourish in this life? It's by a hunger, a thirst, a desperation for God and his word that drives me to say with my whole heart, I seek you, I seek you. And so what we see is it's not just discipline, it's not just desire for God himself that drives this psalmist to his word, but it's, it doesn't stop there, it doesn't stop there. The last thing we see is the delight, the joy that this guy has, the psalmist has for the word of God. Verse 14, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as, as much as in all riches. Verse 16, I will delight in your statues. I will not forget your word. It's a quick question here. Did you catch the audacity of verse 14? Did you see what he said? He goes, he goes, the way of your testimonies, your word brings me as much delight as all the riches in the world. It's a language of joy, of delight, of happiness in God and in his word. What the psalmist is doing here is he's using an illustration to compare the joy he has. He's like, he's like imagine winning the 330 million mega lottery, like last year or whenever it was, two years ago, right? Imagine the joy of winning that. That's how much joy I have in God and his word. That's how much delight I have. As in all riches, you can, the riches you can take or leave. I don't need that as much. I don't want that as much as I want this Jesus and his word. That's his heart. And I think what's interesting in the church today is whenever we talk about joy, we, we have a tendency, and I'm guilty of this from the pulpit, to slap all these conditions upon joy. And then we pit joy and happiness kind of against each other, right? And I've done this until I read Randy Alcorn's book, Happiness, where 400 pages later, you're going, oh my gosh, God is after our joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, right? But what we do in the church is we, we pit happiness and joy against each other, and we say like, oh, well, what joy means for the Christian is this like grinding, grueling, agonizing contentment. It's like, like I'm so happy, joy, yeah, you know? It's like contentment, Urgh. you know, you're just growling. Like, all the Christians are just growling because we can't be happy we have to have joy, but what's joy? It's not happiness, it's not joy, it's, right? It's, it's contentment, like, like, life is terrible, and then you die, and just, and just grin and bear it. That, that, that's, our, that's how we preach joy, and I'm guilty of that. And I think, like church, like, it's okay to smile, right? It's okay for us to be happy in Jesus, to be in love, to, to be happy. Like, that's okay. And, and what, if, what if one of the, the things Jesus came to do was to give you joy abundantly, right? 
Because I think sometimes we, we think it's not okay, like, oh, happiness is fleeting. I should, I'm not supposed to be happy. God doesn't want me to be happy. He wants me to have joy, which is just contentment. No, 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 no. God's after both for you, for sure. It's not contingent upon your circumstance. He's not going to give you a Mercedes Benz for Christmas with a bow on it in the driveway. But yeah, you better believe uh, that he's after your joy. Uh, Matthew uh, 13, 44. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, did you guys catch that? Then in his joy, what does he do? He sells everything he has to buy an empty field just so he can obtain the treasure. What is that treasure? It's Jesus himself knowing Jesus. What this guy in this parable found is he found Jesus. Nothing in the world compares, and he's ruined for anything else. And then what I would say this is, is, is it's not just that Jesus is after your joy in, in a way, but he's the only game in town, church when it comes to everlasting joy. He's got a monopoly on the market, right? If you look at monopoly, this is the, the, not the board game, by the way, this is the actual definition of monopoly, the exclusive possession or control of the supply of or trade in a commodity or service. The exclusive possession. Abundant life. Peace that surpasses all understanding. Joy everlasting is only found in one person, and his name is Jesus. He's got a monopoly on the market. And when you come to know him, and you respond to his pursuit of you, nothing compares. You're ruined for everything else. He's the treasure hidden in a field. You can say riches, take them or leave them. I delight in God and in his word and in knowing this Jesus more than all the riches of the world. John 15, 11, it's not just me who says this, obviously Jesus says this. John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you. God speaks in his word to us. Jesus is talking to the disciples, he says, I speak some things to you. And, and my word to you, what I'm after when I speak to you with my word is this. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you. What we learn here is that Jesus has joy. Jesus has joy. And, and what he does is he gives us that joy so that that joy becomes now our joy. But listen, it doesn't stop there. And that your joy may be full, filled to the brim, that you would be happy in me. You'd have joy. You would delight in knowing me. These things, my words to you are, are for your joy, that my joy that I have would be in you and it would be overflowing be overflowing. So good. His posture, his heart towards us. And so I'll, con I'll conclude with uh, this illustration um, of what does this mean for 2020 of how we should approach God through his word. Like you got the CBR journal, you're going to pursue God and all this stuff. Well, I'm a father, okay? I have two kids. I have two daughters. Uh, Kelsey is like three and a half. Stephanie, uh, my youngest, is about one and a half. And her favorite pastime is, is now is reading a book. Like, and she gets so excited about reading with daddy that I'll be on the couch reading and she'll, hold up, she'll have a book and I'll hear her before I see her. She's yelling. I call her my little honey badger. She's like, she'll square up to anyone. It's awesome. She's like full of excitement and energy. And she goes, daddy, daddy, daddy. And she comes, like she, if she knows I'm on the couch, she comes running over, has a book and I'm bracing for impact because she's so excited. I kid you not, my little like 20 pound daughter, she comes and she shot puts the book in my face. So like hop on pop, you know, cracks me in the forehead. And then she crawls up in my lap. And then we snuggle together. 
and she just stays and, and remains on her, her daddy's lap as she hears the voice of her father read over her. She just wants to hear her father's voice. She wants to delight in her dad. And so, so watch this. Her approach to reading with her father was not, oh, man, got to have a quiet time today. Dang it. Like, man, here's, here's my book. I got to be a good Christian. Let me just, all right, dad, here it is. Hey, pops, can you make this quick? I got lots of things to do. Can, you just, can we just speed through this, man? Like, give me like a speed reading. All right, amen, boom, done. All right, let me go about my business. Is that, was that her heart? Right? Does, does that bring glory to her father? Does her father, do, like, like you, know, you, you know what I'm tracking? You know what I'm saying? You guys tracking with me on that? Like how often is it, is it guilt? How often is it obligation that drives us to read the word? And we say, oh, I haven't had my quiet time today. So I was having, I was having a, um, a really good conversation with someone I was counseling couple months ago, and, and what came out of their mouth was essentially this. I had more joy, and I had more peace of mind before I came to know Jesus than after. And I kind, of, I kind of was staggered. How can that be? How can that be? She doesn't know the, the, the heart of her father. Didn't know the heart of her father, right? Because we often live in, we think, oh, good Christians. We live, we live in a legalistic mindset that, oh, I have to do these things to please God, and I don't. So, so we, we have a, a view of our Father that we're perpetually under his condemnation. Rather than understanding that the heart of our Father is a perpetual invitation to come to me and abide in my love. Right? And so Steffi grabs her book, man, and there's no place she'd rather be, boom. And listen, the heart of the, heart of the father in that moment is, is listen, the father's heart, because she's my daughter, is I'm beaming. I'm delighting in this. You know, after I'm like, you know, scratching my head from the wound of the book, but I'm, the nothing brings me more joy. Just beaming with adoration and delight in my little daughter who wants to read with me. May that be our posture in 2020. Um, and, and, and Jesus says this in John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. For all of eternity, the Father has loved Jesus. And Jesus says, with the same love that the Father has for Jesus himself, Jesus loves his disciples. And then his call is not condemnation, it's not uh, for 2020, it's not go read your Bible because that's what good Christians do. It's an invitation what to do what? Three words. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. And as, as we were worshiping this morning, I just had this, this, this thought come to mind is that, hey, Nick, this illustration you're concluding with is not accurate to God the Father. Because I don't sit in the recliner and wait for my kids to come to me. And I just had this picture of God's initiative towards his people where, where it's not just Stephanie with her arms in the air saying, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. It's Jesus, arms nailed to a cross, yelling to his kids, his sons and daughters, saying, Son, daughter, come home. Abide in my love while you were wandering from me and wanted nothing to do with me. I went to the cross on your behalf so that you could be adopted into the family of God as God as your, as your father. You forever could be sons and daughters of the living God. It's the God who pursues us. It's the God who first speaks. That's our God. And in Jesus Christ, we see the heart of our Father that he has gone to incredible lengths 
in love for each and every one of you in this room. Incredible lengths. Incredible lengths. So that you could simply say yes to the invite to now abide in his love. So let's do that for 2020. I'll give you a moment to respond. Just a moment of silence and I'll close this in prayer. God, for those of us here who have responded yes to your invitation to abide in your love, we say thank you, God, for calling us home. Thank you. We were wayward. We were stuck in our sin that was leading to destruction. And in love for us, Jesus, you left your throne and you came to us and you hung on a cross for us to call us home to the goodness, to the kindness, to the love of our Father. And so we say thank you. For those here today who have never said yes to you, Jesus, to abide in your love, oh, would they do that today? And simply say yes to you, Jesus, and no to what they've been living for, to turn, to repent, to turn from all the stuff that has left them lifeless and answer yes to your invitation. Because that's the call of the Father to everybody in this room today, is come to me, all you heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. The feast, the table is prepared before you. The chair is there. All you have to do is sit down. My Jesus is covered. Your debt in full. Your expenses are paid. Will you just say yes? And may your sons and daughters in 2020 say yes to you, Father. May we grab our Bibles. May we run to you saying, Daddy, 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 I want to abide in your love this morning. Ah, thank you, God. Thank you. Come before you grateful and humbled by your pursuit of us in your word and in the word that points to you, Jesus. So thank you, thank you, thank you. May we leave here rejoicing, rejoicing in the fact that... um, Our God loves us and invites us into his love. And so uh, we say yes and amen. And and, uh, in your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen.